Welcome. I am Carol Sanford, your host for the Responsible Capitalist Podcast. The podcast is about finding a way to align your values with how you invest your money. We have a very exciting conversation today with a man I have come to respect in a very short period of time for just how he's thinking about the world of money. Uh, I'd like for you to meet David Fife. David, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Well, thank you, Carol, and it's super great to spend some time with you. Um, and thank you also for, I'm super excited about you engaging with some of our portfolio companies like Alter Eco and uh, providing them with some inspiration and some roadmaps for, for how, to, how to engage on some of this great stuff. So thank you. Um, so uh, I am a, a partner at Next World Group which uh, is an investment firm and we are capital providers. That's what we do. Um, my day job is uh, managing the Next World Evergreen Fund. And so it's a unique kind of opportunity in the sense that um, um, I've been doing private equity my whole life and never before as someone said, you can have a $400 million pool of capital with one limited partner, meaning one investor, and you can take a long-term perspective to building consumer brands um, and that you can overlay with that a human capacity to focus on purpose and some other things. Um, so what I do for a day, for my for a living, is I, I focus on deploying capital in the Evergreen Fund, which is a consumer fund. Why don't you take us down another level about how you work um, in this Evergreen Fund? Because there are a lot of people who talk about Evergreen Funds. Now, Next World I see has... Uh, with you and your partners, a pretty distinctive outlook on what you're doing, why you're doing, what it means to say you can fo focus on purpose. Give us another layer down on what that means. Well, um, maybe a, a good way to do it is to internalize it at a personal level. Um, uh, I think that um, there are a lot of us that have spent our careers in private equity that feel like the business has become broken. And... Um, um, maybe it's a mature asset class, but there's um, a lot of uh, fees on fees and transaction costs and short-term outlook to how you drive businesses and kind of quick flips and so forth and so on. And I think that um, after a while, you get to a point in life where, you know, you, you want to try to understand and think through how building businesses over the long term and compounding growth is is where real growth and value can be can be achieved. So um, I think that um, um, what we do at Evergreen is really try to focus on building 50-year models versus building three to five-year models where we focus on how do we actually build management teams and leadership structures that have fun, that are purpose-driven, that uh, demand excellence um, and um, and focus on on building great products uh, that come to market and are kind of the next generation of, of of brands. So, in the case of like an alter eco, like nothing would make me happier than for someday that to be the Hershey's of the next generation kind of thing. Whoa, that's pretty exciting. So, so that gives that one of the things I want you to dig a little deeper on is why do this? Because you, when you just said that, nothing would make you more excited. There is something else driving you. Why is it that you're, you and your partners are thinking this way? Well, for me, it starts with a, a, a kind of a more personal uh, point of view. Um, 
you know, I grew up in a finance family. Um, when I was, uh, when I was a young kid, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and she died when I was 10 years old. My dad threw himself into his job. He was a, a, a Goldman Sachs investment banker partner. And, um, you know, uh, we traveled the world, we lived abroad. Um, and somewhere along the line, when we were living in London, um, I started doing a lot of traveling throughout Europe and had an opportunity to work in refugee camps in Gaza and um, uh, do a whole bunch of interesting stuff that expanded my horizon about what the world's about, what I find enjoyment with. But one of the things that stuck with me over the years uh, as I kind of got back onto the conventional track was um, the fact that when I would go into these emerging places, whether it was India or the Middle East, um, there was so much joy and activity that was going on in these communities, even in the midst of, of poverty and, and, and mm. not having a lot of resources and so forth and so on. And I was so hung up in um, how you exceed and make yourself look successful versus how do you actually engage with communities and build organizations and dynamics where people are happy to be there and so forth and so on. And so, um, you know, you, you, you have an exposure to that. It, it affects you. And then like so many people, you just kind of go back, you graduate from college, you go work at Goldman Sachs, you, you get your training, you develop a little wealth for yourself, and you're constantly kind of in the back of your brain thinking about the things that you really care about, that you've had some exposure to, but you can't quite figure out whether it's competence or experience to figure out ways to kind of make it happen and to lean into your convictions and, and, and so forth and so on. And, um, I had spent years uh, living in New York and um, was partners with, uh, you know, a fashion icon Tommy Hilfiger and built a bunch of successful businesses in the retail and apparel business sector. And, and I got a call from um, a recruiter who said, um, hey, there's a different kind of firm. They've got a consumer fund. They're doing different things. And, you know, they're looking for a partner to come in and run this evergreen fund that they've established. Would you be interested? And, and my, you know, the, my first comment was, "Well, I know everyone in consumer investing. I've never heard of Next World. What is going on here?" Like I, you know, and so, but I, I had some meetings. So I came out and I, I met the founders of Next World, and the, and Next World kind of comes from the genesis of the capital comes from the Carrefour family out of Europe. So it's um, uh, a family that has generations of being entrepreneurs in the consumer space of driving big businesses and understanding consumer behavior and so forth and so on. And uh, the next generation had been thrust into a position where they had to kind of understand how to manage money and to affect it. And like so many of these family offices that I meet, you know, they got the portfolio and it was a bunch of private equity funds and it's just a lot of fees and there's no human connectivity to it. And it was just like, we can do this better. We can, we can take our capital and we can empower a group of people to actually build businesses where the connectivity and the carefulness and the, and the caring can come out, but we don't want to be social impact investors. That's not what we do at Next And, and what's the difference? What, what does that mean? Well, you know, Carol, I'm, I'm still trying to be honest about figuring that out. Um, and I certainly don't want to be a person who throws social impact investing under the bus because that's not at all what I would hope that, that you would come away with in our conversation. Um, but I've been on the receiving end of buying a bunch of businesses that have been backed by social impact investors. And I, I don't feel like there's always the, the level of taking what's good about private equity 
the rigor and the analysis and the drive to profitability and the tough calls about organizational dynamics and what you have to do to build strong businesses that can then um, really affect change. Um, and there's a, a little too much of just slapping a fair trade logo on something and making you feel good about yourself. Um, and so I, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything bad about people that are doing that. It's not about that. It's more about how do you build strong businesses where you can take some of the good things that private equity does and implore that. So that's kind of what we're trying to do with next world. Let, let's talk a little bit about what you've kept from the private equity world. Cause there are some things about performance, you know, about contribution to all the people who agree to invest in you and, and your place in an industry. What do you feel like you're bringing from the private equity world into next world uh, that somehow has created what I'm going to call a fusion between ideas that tended to go one way or the other? I think you've created this fusion bit as a word for you. So there's a couple things. Um, um, so I, I think that the, um, you know, the typical engagement model with a private equity firm is around annual budget cycles and board meetings um, and uh, strategic planning and M&A and, and those kind of things. And, and those are all valuable things that we do as well. Um, but I don't know that. Um, and so, so we, what we are trying to do is kind of put a discipline in place where we're creating um, you know, organizational dynamics where management teams are really focused on best practices around monitoring metrics, focused on the details, thinking through, uh, do they have the right teams in place and so forth and so on. But private equity does all of that. But what they don't do is also add an element of how, how do we actually make this a fun company to work for? Very rarely do you see that, right? So, um, um, you know, most of my life, I've been that guy who flies in for a board meeting. I'm a smart guy. I'll ask a bunch of pithy questions and then I'll fly off and I'll be like, boy, that was good. Right. <laughs> but then you're left with companies that have mixed skill sets and, and experience levels and, and not, a, not, a, not a lot gets done. Right. And so what we're trying to do is shift that a little bit and lean in a little bit more to the equity value creation side of it, where we can almost be like operators and feel and empathize with the dynamics that operators and CEOs have. Um, you know, I was just on a call this morning with the CEO of the chocolate company, Alter Eco, where we were talking about the three to five year strategic planning session. And I said, look, I get this is you're checking all the bells and whistles. We're going to do this. We're going to create the plan. We're going to have the strategic plan. We're going to have a budgeting subgroup. But I also want to make sure that in that strategic plan is the foundation, the alter ego foundation that we're setting up. Because I want everyone at the company to feel vested in why we're doing this. And that's why we talk a lot about the word purpose mm -hmm. uh, in, in our companies. We very specifically don't talk about mission-driven because it's not that we don't love mission-driven, um, um, but I don't want to wear it on my sleeve. W what I want to wear on my sleeve is that we're building companies where people feel empowered at those companies to feel like they're part of a purpose. And that's why you will see when we write term sheets, unlike a lot of firms, we will write something in the preamble, which most people don't read because they're just going straight to the price, right? <laughs> um, um, is 
we love to invest in entrepreneurs that demand a lot of themselves, their companies, the people that work at those companies, and the products they produce. But it's purpose. It's not necessarily always about mission. Yeah. So um, I, I really appreciate that looking, because it's one of the things I care a lot about, as you know, is that if you aren't paying attention to the market, the customers, the people working with you, then you're really not in business. You're in a not-for-profit or an issue-based, and mission is one of the ways I subscribe sometimes. And that you you actually have to have a consciousness about the whole of what it means to be in business. But you have to have a different kind of corporate direction than most have, which has more what you're talking about. I am interested in how you feel you manage the mind that has been built, which is more short term, especially when you have uh, annual meetings, you have term sheets that people have to, you know, adhere to, check on, you come in and work all those, you ask your pithy, smart questions. And because you do have this conditioned mind, especially, and most of yours are not public companies or they wouldn't be in private equity, right? But how do you help them work on being purpose uh, connected and not falling into the short-term mindset? I'm just suspecting you've got a clever way of at least working on that, even if not completely figured out. Yeah. So remember, we've only been working on Next World Evergreen for a few years. And so I would always caveat everything we say with work in progress. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we it, it, sometimes it's three steps forward, two steps back. And there, there's such a tendency to revert back into typical private equity patterns. It's just human nature. And we fight it every day, but we, we try. Um, th there's a couple things that, that I would say, um, uh, one is that, um, um, we work really, so, so one thing we've done is we have specific, well, while our fund has a broad consumer mandate, we've deliberately decided to focus on some specific verticals right now, okay. um, food, beverage, beauty, not because we don't have the ability to address across um, uh, all, all spectrums of consumer, but because we need to be knowledgeable for our CEOs and have credibility with them so that we're not just kind of skating across the surface of details. And there is only 24 hours in a day. So we, we can't, we have to kind of be able to really go deeper, not deep the way an operator does, but much deeper than a private equity person does. And so, so the focus on the verticals is one thing that has served us well because we, we feel like we are gaining traction with a knowledge base that helps us synthesize strategic with tactical, right? And the best people in my jobs are the ones that can inspire and work with CEOs and know how to toggle between strategic and tactical. You know, venture capital, you build a big portfolio, you know, you make all your money on three of them. It's how do you like the logo? Buyout is how many turns of leverage do I put on EBITDA? Right. But growth equity is really about embracing companies that are beyond proof of concept, but before they have achieved operating leverage, where you have to know enough to be able to engage with that senior leadership team so that, and this is the key, it's not about just going through an annual budget process. 
It's about the investors and the, and the managers embracing the ambiguity, the uncertainty that is in that growth plan together. So if we're embracing it together, then if we have to move it or tweak it or it's not working, we decided together. And that's a different dynamic than you see in a lot of private equity. Okay? Oh my goodness, yes. I mean, I, I work a lot in the business world, as you know, and I work with um, many growth, what I call growth stage, where you're describing it's past proof of concept, but you know, it hadn't gone to where it can go. And what I have noticed is that there is usually best practices means how you do it right the first time. And you're talking about a very different mind that looks at something as alive, moving, growing, we're checking in and we're doing it together. And I think that's, that's a message I wanted to repeat just because I feel like it's one that small businesses lose track of and certainly big businesses do completely. So thanks for that. And it's also, it's, it's consistent with, um, for the first time in my life, I have a capital pool that is long-term oriented. And it's important because, because when, you, when, when you have to kind of build models where you're flipping things in two to three years, it's very hard to do that. Yeah. But when I know that I'm gonna be in this business potentially for 25 years, then I need that foundation to be strong, right? Yeah, and so, uh, so, so maybe we sell, maybe we don't, but we never have to. It's what we call the optionality. And that's one of the things we sell to our entrepreneurs and to senior leaders of businesses is we're not long-term capital. Like you'll never have a liquidity event. What we're saying is long-term capital gives you options. Yeah. That's all it says. It just gives you options. So let's build a strong base. So I had a question I was going to ask you earlier and now we're back to it. And I think I really want to have a little more of the history of next world coming into existence because they recruited you. So someone had already been conceptualizing some of what you're talking about. And they are a, obviously a particular unique nature of person and persons. Could you give us what seems appropriate in terms of where, where the thinking was drawn from, that the people who decide to do this, car for family, et cetera, uh, and the methods that are distinctive that were foundational that made you say, yes, I'll go be there. Sure. Um, let me try to muddle through this. The car for family has many derivations and families and a lot of wealth has been created over the years and so forth and so on. Um, and one of the main uh, family entities um, is run by my partner here, Sebastian Lepinard. And Sebastian uh, was thrust into a position where he needed to understand how to allocate a ton of capital um, because uh, his wife's parents had tragically died in an air airplane accident. And so there was a, a real kind of an acceleration mm. of what do we do with this capital and how do we do something right? And I think it was in the face of looking at all the Me Too family offices that kind of are invested with a thousand of these funds and there's no real connectivity and you can feel the frictional costs of all the fees. And like I said, it's a mature industry. And you know, um, um, he's like, there's gotta be a better way. There's gotta be a better way to connect our philanthropic activities with our net worth and how do we actually create some kind of version of an investment firm, a capital provider that is that takes the best practices of institutional investors, and they they're, they're really smart people, and family offices 
that have a different sensibility, but maybe not the discipline? And how do we actually synthesize those two things into a platform that uh, speaks to us in terms of how we want to deploy capital? And one of the things you should know about uh, NextWorld is that the vast majority of the capital that we manage flows into a parallel foundation, the Arrow Foundation, which does a lot of work in social injustice and women's rights and all kinds of global warming issues and so like So we are responsible capital in the sense, not, not like in some airy fairy term, it's just that I work next to the people that are deploying capital at the foundation. And if I screw this up, that's less money they have to give away to great causes, right? And so there's a connectivity and a, and a, and a direct line of sight to capital that makes you super different than if I was just managing money for Ohio State teachers and some pension fund in Pennsylvania, all of which needs to be done. I'm not saying it's bad stuff, but it's just a different kind of thing, right? And so that level of uh, not being thought of as an intermediary, but all the capital is right here in front of us and it drives the foundation is uh, is, is, is just a really kind of, um, it puts away. And, and the last personal note that I would make on that front is, because uh, I think it's important is because um, we, you know, we don't always get everything right. And so it's important to talk about when we get something right it is um, um, when I came and I met with the next world team and I understood what they were doing, Sebastian, who's the founder of next world um, more than anything that drove me to uproot my life and move to San Francisco uh, from New York was um, I could feel in him the weight of that capital and he really didn't want to screw it up and he wanted to do something different and that was super inspiring and I hadn't felt that before. Well and it's interesting I'm sitting here thinking noticing how I'm feeling listening to you talk about him but talk about your own choices and it is really uplifting it it it's like hope producing so I can imagine you felt that same kind of thing because you took it all the way back to when you'd been on the African continent and those families that were happy and I've had the same experience I worked in Africa I worked in South America and you see children which are running around barefoot but you watch multiple parenting you watch joyous laughing children and you think what have they figured out that we haven't and suddenly these came together for you I could just feel it, it. it absolutely did and you know I'm 48 years old it took a little bit longer than I'd hoped but but um but it, it you know it, you hit your stride when you hit your stride but exactly the, um, um, yeah, but, but I totally I will tell you that there were many years in there where and I'll never forget when I was sitting there as a financial analyst at Goldman Sachs and my father, who was chairman of Goldman International, came and he was talking to our analyst class and someone asked him, you know, how did you build this incredible franchise? And whatever you think of investment banking or all that kind of stuff, like it's a great franchise, right? Um, he said, well, it's pretty simple. We found the smartest, most insecure people because the productivity is through the roof, right? And I thought to myself as I was sitting there like, Okay, <laughs> how, do I, how, do I, how do I translate that, right? So I'm not saying that we're looking for the dumbest, less insecure people here, but what we are looking to do is, is kind of a, create a completely different paradigm in private equity, which is much more about enjoying the little things, enjoying the details, going a little slower, and mm -hmm. finding that joy and that happiness in deploying capital. 
You, you know, I, I've said similar things. I haven't used the word insecure, but I know what you're talking about because what I'm usually looking for, even when I invest or when I go to work with a company, I say, I want them to be hungry. I want them to, to not have all the answers. I want them to be in a process that they can feel something extraordinary ahead of them, but they don't know completely how to get there. I think that's a similar kind of idea, maybe a little less judgmental about them, but I think that's the kind of people that I want to be working with. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. Like, so when I was on the phone uh, this morning with Mike Forbes, the new CEO at Alter Eco, who's doing a fabulous job, and we were going through the strategic planning thing, and he had listed his various gates of things we, we needed to accomplish, and at the beginning was mission goals, mm -hmm. right? I said, Mike, I want you to add ambition. Yeah, mission, yeah. goal, and ambition. Because I want a company, yes, I want the mission statement, and yes, I want some goals, but I, what I really want is a group of people that won't take no for an answer and want to get it done. And then I want, to, I want them all to read your books, and I want them to understand how to reach down within the organization and empower whatever archetype they are to figure out exactly how to be part of the solution and empower them to be productive members so it's less hierarchical and it's fun. Well, this, this is, feels a little self-serving, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I'm really curious. What is it out of when you are reading what I've written? And, you know, and they aren't all my ideas. I mean, I stand on the shoulders of amazing people that I tell stories about. But what is it that you read in there that you say, this is what I want the folks who we're investing in to be thinking about and bringing more capability back? Can you hit on any of that just as a top line? Idea? Well, I mean, I, I think that um, there are many points in your writing that speak to me, uh, and I could go in a thousand directions on that front. Uh, but uh, maybe a couple um, uh, off the top of my head. One, one is um, one is this, you know, this sense of breaking down hierarchical structures and and understanding and embracing and then codifying and in and investing in people that are on the front lines of businesses because oftentimes they they know a hell of a lot more than we do uh sitting in our ivory towers about what's really going on and the ability to empower them is something that uh i think is really important and and, and, and let me just say, it's so easy for me to say that in a podcast, and it's much harder to actually affect and to do, okay? Um, but um, um, one example of where I found some success in this is where we take a company, and um, I, I know as a young person, there were oftentimes I was asked to sit on boards of things or be involved in activities in the communities and so on and so on. But, you know, there's always this kind of entry price of kind of giving $1,000 or $5,000 and you're like, I don't know if I can do that. I know I could add value, but I don't have the ticket. And so one of the things that we do a lot of is creating in our budgeting process, right? A, a pool of capital where we can go to the young people that work with these firms and say, if you want to get involved in a women's organization or a school board or, you know, something else that you care about, we will back you if you want to, if you want to, you know, we have an offer, we do it differently in every company, but it could be a matching grant program. It could just be like, I don't have the money, but I really want to do this. And we evaluate it on a case by case basis. But, but you would be amazed the level of loyalty and care that you get from people just helping empower little things like that in their life.
And it, it's just not a big, it's not a big mover in the budget. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I don't mean it to diminish it. Every dollar is important, but it's, but it's, it's such a great return on investment. So there are things like that that we try to do that I got out of your books where we try to kind of remember that the smartest people in all these organizations are oftentimes the ones on the front line. Right. And, and certainly when you put those people on the front line in the room with the people who are leading and you start to have conversations, you get ideas that neither of them would have had alone, which is one of the things that I discovered 40 years ago really made the kind of difference you're talking about. I've got two questions left. Uh, one is uh, about the future of finance. I mean, we're in a world right now where money is, you might say, crazy. Um, and I suspect that although you know how you're doing what you're doing, that you often have thoughts about, am I, could I affect the private equity industry? Or could I affect how we think about finance? And even if you don't think about Next World being the one who does that, what do you see as the future and what needs to intervene? And if any thoughts you have about how that might happen to give us a way to understand and work with money in a way it makes all our lives work better. So uh, we live in crazy times. Yeah. Um, um, we are in the midst of quite a bull market. One of the reasons why you are not seeing Next World put ourselves out there more visibly and do a bunch of deals to be relevant in the space is that we feel like uh, time is our friend and these are not great markets to lean into. But um, um, uh, what I would say in terms of finance is that there's some structural things that are going on that I think we hope to play a role in. I would like to see company, you know, there was a time in the history of money where, you know, data and information flow and the complexities of corporate finance were beyond the scope of conventional finance departments within corporate America. Those days are long gone. And um, I would like to see companies, in addition to leaning into um, social-oriented elements of a lot of different things, I would like to see them disintermediating uh, investment banks and learning how to do this themselves. And I think they're capable of doing it. I think that they have a better temperament. They're not just running off with a fee, taking a transaction cost and then, you know, not really caring what happens after the M&A happens or a debt financing happens or whatever it might be across the capital structure. So my belief is that we need to find a way to challenge corporate America to own corporate finance in a way that they don't right now. And um, I think companies are moving that way, but it's, it's, it's something I would like to see happen more of. The second no, go ahead. I'm just thinking I would love to talk about that for a whole other podcast, but what was the second thing? <laughs> well, you know, I think that um, the second thing that I would say is in, in terms of the investment community, um, I still believe that the way, the best way to create wealth is to compound good businesses over a long period of time. And there is far too much transaction-driven nonsense going on. Private equity buying from private equity, um, you know, bankers running auctions. There's so much capital. Everybody's got to put money to work. And um, 
uh, I think that um, uh, what we're trying to do is try to create maybe a different kind of model. And what does that all mean? What, what that means is, is that I, I need entrepreneurs. I need business owners to value that. And um, so something needs to shift where, um, you know, um, they want the type of partner that says to them, hey, instead of growing 22%, how about we grow 16%, but we can reinvest in X, Y, and Z. And it'll make us stronger in year five. And no one, right now we have a culture that kind of is just top bid. How do you get the most for your business? How do you flip it to a strategic in three years? And so we're trying to be patient and trying to tell a different kind of story. And I'm hopeful that a good solid recession or a change in plans will bring a lot more people to us and say, Hey, maybe there, maybe that guy five is not so stupid. Maybe we should, maybe we should think this way too. Wonderful. So that leads into the last question I think we need to talk about. I have over 6,000 followers, huge numbers of them are entrepreneurs. And because my audience is growth based businesses, um, there are a lot of people going to listen to this going to go, I want to talk to this guy. Now, that's a blessing and a curse, right? But I think that if you could say who it is that would be of value to talk to and what conditions you don't talk to people so that they're not wasting their time, they're not wasting your time, and then tell them what the right way to reach out to you because people are going to want to do that. So what guidance would you give over what feels welcome to you and what you're just either going to ignore or whatever it is, your way of dealing with it when it doesn't fit? You got thoughts about how to shape that? Sure. Um, we have an evergreen fund structure. So it's not for everybody. Um, and uh, I would say to entrepreneurs and business owners and uh, people who are out there who um, um, want to reach out, um, we are committed and passion, passionate about a couple verticals, you know, uh, food, beverage, and beauty. Um, we look for businesses that have been created with some purpose around it. One of the overlays that we use is the natural movement doesn't have to be the only one, but, you know, um, we look a lot for better for you, wellness oriented things, but, but, but there needs to be a connectivity there. So if you feel like you're an entrepreneur that has some of those things together, if you've built a business, um, that you are looking for the right kind of partner, um, we have two basic ways that we look at it. Either, um, we're looking to invest in businesses that are doing somewhere between, and there's no magic number here, but my sweet spot is north of 20 to 50 million in revenue kind of businesses. Making money, losing money is not the issue. Um, um, and then we have our platforms where we do smaller deals as part of a synergy with a platform we've already created. So we will also look at businesses that are doing 500 grand or 2 million um, because we feel like they're additive to, you know, our building a snacking platform around Alter Eco or building a tea platform around Smith Tea in Portland, Oregon, or building um, around Credo Beauty, our, our natural clean beauty multi-brand retailer that we're building right now. So there's, there's opportunities at the smaller level. And then um, um, what I would say is if any of that kind of are areas that feel like are sweet spots for you, um, 
um, you know, give us, reach out and, and connect with me. I'm happy to, I mean, I may be the one that, I mean, I can easily be the line of sight at my, at my email, which is david at nextworld.com. Um, I might dish it off to somebody who's more appropriate. I might not be on that account. I might not be following closely T or it might be, but, but we have a good group of people here and I can filter pretty quickly to the right people in terms of where, where you could connect to. And so email david at nextworld.com is the best way. And I assume there is a little information on your website. I've looked at it. I don't know what people would be looking for, but I know there's some good stuff there. So we're about to to relaunch our website with some some new information and some some new stuff. So I'm excited about that. We're, We're starting to kind of get out there in the marketplace a little bit better. That's great. All right. You know, this has been even more than I hoped. Um, Your enthusiasm about something that I care about and a lot of other folks I think in the world are increasingly care about is absolutely contagious. But what's most exciting is you're actually doing it. (laughs) So there are a lot of your dreams. You're actually, even though I know you're on a journey. So thank you so much for being on this today. And uh, I will look forward to hearing what follows up from this, what people say. Thanks so much. Thank you, Carol.